Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 171. I always admired my late father greatly. He was truly, truly, truly a great man. He was a very, very, very well-respected businessman. One of the things he said to me, he said, pay attention to the quality and the rest will follow. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Glenn Vaughn. Glenn, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am. I put my flame suit on this morning. I'm wearing my flame-proof gloves, and I put a roll cage around this, so I think I'm ready. Well, I hope to goodness we don't hit a wall and go up in flames here, so I'll do my best as we drive through this journey that is Glenn Vaughn's life. (laughs) That's fantastic. Glenn Vaughn has been in the automotive restoration business for decades. He's worked with thousands of clients on a wide variety of automobiles, and much of his work has been displayed on Concord lawns around the world. You'll recognize his last name from the famous Hill & Vaughn restoration business and a partnership and friendship his father Ken Vaughn had with Phil Hill. Yes, that Phil Hill, the F1 champion. So Glenn, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course your passion for automobiles? Yeah, it'll be fun, I think. The name of uh, the business that, that Phil Hill and my father had was, uh, was Hill and & Vaughn. And um, if I think back, that was the main part of my internship, if you will. That became a, a very legendary and powerful restoration shop. What it did, it kicked down the door of the turnkey restoration instead of, uh, like when, when my father and I restored a Packard in the 60s, instead of taking it one place and the other, it was all under one roof. Oh, okay. Yeah, you'd take your car in there, and we had an, an upholster and a mechanic, and the painting was done there. So one of the results of that is if something goes wrong, you know who to talk to, and we can't, we couldn't point the finger at anybody else. It, sure. it was our problem. Before then, were cars done that way? Were they shipped off to different vendors, and then they came back into the main shop? 
Yeah, there, there might not even have been a main shop when my father and I did that Packard in the you know, 60s. Our main shop was our garage. Okay. That can be a problem. As an individual car restore, how do you know who the good people are? And if somebody does a lousy job on something, it's a it's a big setback. Sure. So, yeah, that, that was a big step forward. Okay, awesome. The passion for cars, it was in our family. My father had a, uh, a series of very interesting cars. The person I can really blame for this is my great-grandmother. She was um, an uneducated woman from the hills of Tennessee, and uh, she gave me a Model a, uh, a Model A Ford when I was 14. She said, Glenn, I'm a getting too old to drive. I'm a giving you my car. <laughs> Great. That's my introduction into cars. I think it was unavoidable. Wow, fantastic. Well, as we move through this journey of your life and cars, I always like to start with a success quote. This is a saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on cars, yeah? So, Glenn, take the wheel. Okay. I always admired my late father greatly. He was truly, truly, truly a great man. And let me give you just a little background as to his character. I never saw him take a drink. I never saw him, uh, I never heard him use a swear word. He never, ever, ever looked at a woman with disrespect. He was a very, very, very well-respected businessman. He had an automobile insurance company. And um, one of the things he said to me, he said, pay attention to the quality and the rest will follow. That's one of my favorites. Oh, yes. And then as a business person, it's important for us. Well, he actually said this to me. He said, uh, not even do you have to be ethical, you have to appear to be so. And, and, and if you think of that, as a business person, I've always disclosed everything very clearly. Yes. If there's ever a disagreement, it's not a disagreement about ethics. It's a disagreement about something else. So that, that's what did it for me. Absolutely. Those are great quotes for any business person, any person with integrity, no matter what they're doing, of course. And I think it's fantastic. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? You've been around cars your entire life. Tell us about that pitiful moment as you remember it when you really knew you were a car guy. Oh, gosh. I think, once again, it was uh, my father was the culprit there. We would fiddle with cars. He had a, a go-wing Mercedes, and uh, we would go riding together. And I always wondered uh, what it looked like behind behind us because it didn't have air conditioning, and it's L.A., and you've got a little solar co- solar collection thing. Oh, with a go-wing. And, and, and if, you, if you think about the design, the windows don't roll down. Right. You would pop them out and stow them a little pouch in the back. And so we would come to a stop. And the doors would go up, and it truly became a, a going. Um, and then, um, yeah, we went to car shows and stuff. It was very much a family thing and very much a hobby thing. Uh, there would just be a gathering of people on a on a on a parking lot, and we didn't go on tours then, but we went on tours later. We just had a lot of fun with them. We got things because they were fun, not because they were legendary. As an example of that fun versus legendary, take yourself, circle back to that period of time, and all these all these cars that now are put on pedestals were just cars. And um, I remember my father telling me that he turned down an alloy-bodied uh, going because the steel one was $500 less. 
Oh, wow. One of my favorite memories is my father had this little sly smile. It was just this little half smile. And so uh, he had an insurance company um, on the Miracle Mile on Wilshire. Mm-hmm. And so when I was working there, uh, I was just a kid and, uh, you know, not even driving. There was this underpass. I think it was a Hollywood. I think it was a Hollywood exit. And I'd give him a sidelong glance and he'd give me a sidelong glance. And then that was a signal and we would furiously roll down our windows and then he'd uh, change down a couple gears and, and we would roar through the tunnel. I, I, I think I might have left out that that was a Ferrari and I'll always, I will always remember that smile and I will always remember the music of that beautiful um, 12-cylinder engine. Oh, yeah. It was just fun. Sounds like it was fantastic. It was really fun. Yeah. And that was a lot of father-son stuff. Oh, perfect. Wonderful memories. So, Glenn, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads that you've driven down and crawl under the hood, get our hands a little dirty, something you're not afraid of doing with all the vehicles you've worked on, but ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you've faced in your career. But the most important part of this is how you overcame it and what you learned from that experience. Ah, well said. In my life, I have always, always, always looked at a failure as as an opportunity. In fact, as a business person, uh, if something that we had flunked, I would fix that as many times as it needed to be fixed. Even things where normal business, you'd say, well, it's out of warranty. It's your problem. And one of the great failures, if you will, we, we, it was for a 37 Packard Super 8. They called it a touring sedan. It's a four-door Mm-hmm. Uh, four-door coachwork and there was something wrong with the oiling system or something wrong with the the bearings that we had poured uh, they were all Babbitt bearings and um, something was wrong and and we kept on those bearings kept on falling apart the owner lived in San Francisco and we were in um, Coeur d'Alene and so I have a car transporter so he would say Glenn something's happening and I would be down there in a flash take it back up. I was back and forth three times, and instead of it being something like Glenn Vaughn's couldn't get the engine right, it was more like, wow, Glenn Vaughn really stands behind his stuff. And see, that's, to me, what a failure is an investment. Yes. A failure tells your clientele what you're made of. Absolutely. Yeah, and you learn so much from it. I mean, now I could give you 45 minutes on the bottom end of a 1937 Packard straight eight and <laughs> learned so very much from that. Yes. What I learned about diagnosis is it's usually simple. It's kind of an Einsteinian. It's, it's, it's really simple. And if any of your listeners are trying to figure something out, if you're to the point that you're blaming the rings of Saturn, you're on the wrong track. Just, <laughs> and try it again. Oh, gosh. How many times have I chased something like that and it ends up <laughs> being right under your nose? But uh, lessons learned. But I love the way you transform those failures into learning. It's so important for people to do that. Glenn, let's shift gears here. And go to the other end of the spectrum, and I'd love for you to share one of your aha moments in your career. One of those times when you realized that an idea or a concept was really valid, and tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. I think it was um, the importance of my staff. I'm a fair to middling mechanic. 
uh, I'm actually trained uh, a trained mechanic, the uh, Federal Aviation. I, I, I'm I'm a, it's okay for me to work on everything uh, up and up to and including the space shuttle. I know it's parked now, but it's, <laughs> I have a good grasp of mechanics, but I'm not great at it. So what I what I managed to do was hire the best staff mm. in the world. I found out later this is a management style. I didn't know I was adopting a rather avant-garde management style, but it's called the servant manager. And what I do is I hire great people, I give them what they need, and I stay out of their way. Perfect. I'm not a micromanager. I'm not going to go back and tell someone with 20 years' experience in paint how to paint a car. And then if I may, another very important thing in business. Yes. The person that is often overlooked is the person that is your client's first impression of the business. And mm. that's the person answering the phone, the, uh, the person that, that gives those people a first impression. And um, I have a wonderful woman named uh, Jennifer. My wife and I adore her. All the customers like her. And uh, if I answer the phone or if my wife answers the phone, they go, oh, Oh. <laughs> where's Jennifer? Yeah, where's Jennifer? And she's been with me before movie since before movies had sound. <laughs> uh, without hesitation, I, I, I would say she's uh, she's a very extraordinary woman. So yeah, don't forget. Look at the details like that. Yes, absolutely and brilliant. Hire good people. I love that you shared that story because it is so valuable, especially for young entrepreneurs to learn. We're a culmination of the people we surround ourselves with. You surround yourself with people that are better than you in their skill sets, and they will always help you achieve all of your goals. It's so important. My mother told me, marry a woman who's smarter than you because she'll keep you on your toes. Well, I did that. I did that. That's exactly what I did. And sometimes it's a bit of a challenge for my male ego, yes, but uh, it certainly has worked out because it does keep you on your toes and keep you sharp. And it's the same with the people you work with. So that's a fantastic aha moment. I love that. Could I go on a tangent here? Sure. I'd like your readership to tell me something here about Jaguar history. Okay. Now, when I was in college, uh, I had driven my mother's uh, Mark II sedan up to uh, the school I went to. I lived in L.A. and I drove up to Santa Barbara. Mm-hmm. And I had this uh, teacher named Miss Docking. She was one of these British formidable women who would, in an afternoon, pack her umbrella and put on sensible shoes and walk to the source of the Nile, and she'd be back in time for afternoon tea. (laughs) But this is the story that she told, and I fancy myself something as a, of a historian. Okay. And this is the story that she told. She said, um, uh, she, she had spotted the Jaguar, and she said, Oh, Glenn, and I won't try an English accent here. I was sitting around the table with uh, Sir William, and I think the, the person that, um, that is Captain Jaguar is, is William Lyons. Yes. And I think he had to rename Jaguar because uh, the letters SS were not too popular after the Second War. I think that stood for Swallow Sidecar or something. So Miss Docking says this. I was sitting around the table with Sir William, and we were trying to think of a name for his car company, and he said that he wanted to name it after a fleety animal. That was the 
word she used. Uh, that word is stuck in my in my mind forever. So if one of your listeners is a Jaguar historian, I would really, really like to know about that connection. And if it's not out there, I can promise you that is a piece of history, a legitimate piece of history. She was not a uh, woman to be... uh, You had to deal with her. She's very strong. And uh, actually, the conversation started with how I was flunking um, uh, English, and I'd better get my ducks in a row, or she'd, uh, you know, she'd deal with me. So yes. it's <laughs> Jaguar. Very so, interesting. That's interesting. Fantastic story. Well, hopefully, there will be a listener out there that will have more to that story to round it out and share with us. I hope they do. How about proudest moments? I'm sure you've had many in your career, but is there one in particular you could share with us? that really stands out in your life? This has to do with my father and Phil Hill once again. And nowadays we call it a business model, but um, they had judges at a show. They came upon a Rolls Royce that was that belonged to Otis Chandler. He's the late publisher of the LA Times. Mm-hmm. And he was, I don't know, uh, a fellow business person, um, not a competitor, but they... Yeah, there was this uh, a little bit of electricity in the air because they uh, Otis was always the one that was uh, that did cars very much on the same level as Hill and Vaughn and the end of the car show is kind of a horse race. He was had a very good staff and did great work. So he was sitting out on the line, and Kevin Phil came upon his restorer, and his restorer you could. I, I was there when this happened. His restorer was absolutely in a frenzy. Now, I know in the cosmic sense, nobody dies if if you lose a car show. But mm. if any of you have been in the moment in a car show, suddenly the operation of your windshield wiper or something the equivalent becomes very, very large in your life. It, it means a point off. And the 100 points is the holy grail of car shows. Yep. So this restorer, I wish I could remember his name, was in a frenzy trying to fix a tail lamp that wasn't working. And and those of you who remember the old cars that have a six-volt system, if a connection, the connections just go bad all by themselves. There's not enough uh, voltage to push anything through a, a connection that's not good. And rather than say, oh, boy, here's an opportunity to beat Otis Chandler, what my dad said, and I'll never forget this, he said, okay, calm down, take a deep breath. What we'll do is we will judge the rest of the car, and then we will go down the line and judge all the other cars. And then when we're done doing that, we will circle back to you and judge that tail lamp. Mm. And so I watched the weight of the moment lift from the restorer. And remember we talked about the rings of Saturn before. It turned out to be a really simple fix. They went back and judged it, and it got it got a, a hundred points. Uh-huh. Here's the really cool part of the story. Now, in a sense, Helen Vaughn made their living by producing world beater cars. In fact, a few times it shows we were called we were called the Helen Vaughn Steamroller. But Ken and Phil let him fix that problem that would have been a point off. Now, the implication there is that he wouldn't have gotten a hundred points, and um, their cars, their personal cars, and their customer cars would have had a leg up because 100 points was for Helen Vaughn was assumed. But instead, allowing his mechanic to fix that tail lamp 
Otis's car went on to get best of show and best in class. Wow. And for me, what that represents is my father and Phil not grubbing after the win. What it was is they were sportsmen. Yes. Even if it hurt them a little bit, because like I said, 100 points was the holy grail. Winning a show, if, if they could do it or their customers can do it, that would be part of their reputation. But I, I didn't want this part to be lost to history, that that harkened <laughs> back to the days when a car show was a car show and everybody just showed them and had a good time. That was my proudest moment. Oh, wonderful. Integrity to the max. Yeah, and, and, and my proudest moment is a loss. And that I really like. I love it. Very much a part of my character. Ah, wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And perhaps you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. It was the Model A Ford. I really don't want to try your listening audience too much with with adding too much to the story. But in my life, it's not been the cars as much as the... um, the time spent around them. And so I'll say the Model A was what um, kicked things off. And then uh, that short chassis Berlinetta that, that my dad and I uh, went sailing under the bridge, we would put that thing up in the air and pull the wheels off. And there are those beautiful Baroni wheels. And we would spend all day polishing the aluminum on it and then um, put it back on the ground. And <laughs> I remember we were, oh, cool, look at how wide those tires are. The wheel would stand up all by itself. And we just thought those were the fattest tires ever built. And they got maybe, a, I don't know, a six, six-inch uh, footprint. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Fantastic. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned, that you've let go, that you really wished you could have back in your garage? Gosh, I had a J2 Allard when I was in college, but but that doesn't tweak my memory as much. I'll tell you, if I can put a different spin on that story, I'd like to talk about a car that my father and I didn't buy, and I wish it would have been in our garage at least for a while. Is sure, that okay? absolutely. My father had a Tour de France Ferrari, and uh, just as an aside, we called it the Skag Lietti, and when Phil heard us pronounce that, he had a booming laugh, and it just ricocheted against the walls. <laughs> yeah, there's no skag in Scaglietti, so that's how he pronounced it. Yes. <laughs> it was an aluminum race car, and we just had fun with it, blasting around. The way he sold it was he sold it to the production company that did the Elvis picture, Viva Las Vegas. And if you ever want to see a real stinker, rent that one. And uh, <laughs> The bad guy's driving my dad's Tour de France. Oh, my gosh. So here we are. He is Ferrari-less. So we start looking for another car. So we go to a garage, and there's a GTO Ferrari sitting there. And we looked at it, and thought it was just a barely streetable race car. And we looked at it, and we thought, oh, you know, I think we'll, I think we'll pass. So now... Okay, there's the building where we originally saw the GTO. So fast forward 15 years, Hill and Vaughn was renting that same building. Oh, wow. Through the door came the same GTO Ferrari. And before, the owner of the building uh, was trying to civilize it. And what the new owner of the GTO wanted us to uncivilize it and get it back to more like a race car. Mm -hmm. And so now we come to the present, and I'm sure that any 
of your listeners who don't believe me that this CTO, either that one or the one, uh, one very much like it, uh, recently sold for $52 million. So, uh, wow. An investment of twelve thousand versus a return of fifty-two million dollars. <laughs> that's one of the reasons I'm not a financial advisor. Oh well, who'd have thought cars would be selling for what they're selling for these days? It's gotten a little ridiculous, but uh, it is what it is. And after just watching the auctions this past week down in Scottsdale, you see even more of it going on. So people are parking their assets in vehicles, and there's something kind of nice about that too. Truly. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Well, once again, I'm I'm more relationship-oriented than I am a super-duper ultimate weapon car. And what does it for me is, uh, I don't care if I'm restoring a Ferrari or a Ford or a Duesenberg or a Dodge. What I'll remember is the connection between myself and the owner. But there are some cars in there that really do interest me. About a year ago, owner brought in a 1916 Packard, which beats my imagination because it's going to be 100 years old shortly. Yeah. And just a little history on Packard. In the teens, the go-to motor was a six. I mean, everybody wanted a big six. Since a go-to engine was a six, they had built a 12. So the way they marketed it, it's not a 12. It's a twin six mm. and so if one six is good two must be better and that was their marketing strategy so so there's that one custom coach 12 cylinder packards follow just a lot of stuff and i just like walking in the middle of all that and just closing my eyes and thinking as a historian thinking when these cards were new what it must have been like oh gosh yeah, so those would be interesting things in my shop fantastic now, here's a fun question for you, a little bit introspective on how you perceive yourself, Glenn. If you were a car, what kind of a car would you be and why? <laughs> I would probably be the all-time soccer mom car that uh, transports our children to school and transports mom to the grocery store. And I think I would be the most pedestrian car imaginable because that's a very important job is transporting our kids around safe. <laughs> Wonderful. I like that answer. All right, Glenn, we're entering what I call the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? I am. Sail on. All right. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? I actually got that from a quote from uh, the great leader of Great Britain during the war, Winston Churchill. What he said during the darkest days of the war, never, 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 never give up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just shared that with somebody the other day having to do with the Seattle Seahawks football game that was just played last weekend and how things were looking very bleak those last few minutes and uh, they pulled some rabbits out of their hats. So uh, yes, never, ever, never, ever give up. Perfect. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe contributes to your success? Yeah, I'm not diagnosable clinically as uh, ADD, attention deficit disorder, but in a business where each car is maybe made up of 20,000 parts and you've got a dozen of them apart at the same time, uh, having my attention wander uh, has really been a bonus. I can keep all that stuff in the air, I'm up in the air, and I can let it 
float in my mind and ricochet around and something will pop out. And oftentimes it'll be a surprise. But yeah, a, um, like, like I said, um, it's, um, it's uh, not a full disorder, but it's something considered lacking has been to my uh, test. Very interesting. I like that. Do you have a resource that you could share with our listeners? I know there's so many today with the internet that is available at our fingertips, but is there one in particular that you're really fond of, either a website, maybe it's a blog, maybe it's a person or a supplier that you use? Yeah, and this is something I think that all of your listeners should pick up a pencil and write down. I don't have one source. We've worked on 25 different makes of cars. Mm-hmm. But saying in, in an old school way, I have a Rolodex that I wouldn't sell for a million dollars. If I go find someone that, let's say, rebuilds a radiator or something now, I will let them rebuild it. And if they're good, I note it on the, one of the pages in the Rolodex. And so that five years later, I try to remember, wow, they did a great job on that radiator. Who is it? And you go on the net, and of course there are... 50,000 hits on on radiator repair, but I don't do that. I go right back to the Rolodex. I'll bet you I have 150 different sources. And and the other thing that does is that my wife says I know an awful lot about not very much. (laughs) What I can do is if there's a knock or a bang, Phil used to call it, geez, that engine sounds like old iron and bricks falling down a tin shoe. But let's say I have a knock or a bang in some obscure um, engine, I don't know how to fix it, but I can dig into the Rolodex and find out someone who does. So, sure. yeah, keep your sources. Yep. Also, it's a nice thing to share with other enthusiasts. Yep, absolutely. How about books? Is there one book in particular you think the Cars Yow listeners should get their hands on? Yes. Again, write this down. Get the service manual for whatever kind of car you're working on. Hmm. Information is so much quicker and less expensive than your learning curve. Go out and buy one. I don't care what it is. And then join the club because then you'll know all the experts who can help you through the restoration process. Perfect. Perfect. Great advice. Well, listeners, you can find all these resources Glenn has been so kind to share with us today at carsyad.com slash Glenn Vaughn. So, Glenn, we've talked a lot about you and your father. Would you share one special memory? And I'm sure you had so many with Phil Hill. Because of who he was and who he is, could you share one special memory about Phil that you had with him? Yeah, I liked his expressions. He would start talking, reflecting on on the old days. But the expressions are what I remember. I mean, if a car came in and it was uh, had lumpy bodywork, he'd say, wow, that looks like a bag of walnut. <laughs> Something that sticks in my mind is that when my father and I restored that 34 Durham-bodied legitimate one of a kind. So my dad and I restored it. And um, like I say, I am not a great mechanic. I'm well trained, but I am not that good. And so it had a lot of mechanical problems. It wouldn't turn left because a bearing had been left out of the steering gearbox and and the brakes were horrible. You change lanes when when you put the brakes on. And so Phil took that around and jokingly, this was not a poke his finger at me, ha, 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 kind of a thing. But he was laughing his head off, and he told Ken, that is the nicest piece of junk I have ever driven. <laughs> those things. Wonderful. That kind of thing. That, those, are, those are amongst my favorite memories. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Thank you for sharing those personal memories with us. 
So Glenn, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. You know what that means? It might be difficult. Maybe not for you. We'll see. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and money's no object, but you can't sell this vehicle to buy a bunch of other cars with, you're going to have to live with it. What would that vehicle be and why? Well, if I may, you said a doozy, and, and that word historically connects to Duesenberg. Yes. So you went back in history there. But if I just had one in my garage, it would be that short chassis Berlinetta that my dad and I took under the uh, bridge. But what I would do is I would drive it. It would have parking lot dings. I live in the middle of snow. I would chain it up and drive <laughs> it. And I'd wear it out and uh, rebuild it, and I would historic race it, and probably, I'm not that great a race driver, I'd probably go backwards into a wall. But that's what I would do. I would really use that thing, and I would get to listen to the music that if that Ferrari uh, 60s 12-cylinder, six-twin show carburetor noise. That's what I'd have. I love it. What a great answer. I love the fact that you believe in getting these cars out and driving them. So many just sit in garages and never move, and it's just such a shame. They need to be driven. So fantastic answer. Absolutely great. Glenn, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. I think we could talk for hours and hours. I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me. Would you give us a parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that short wheelbase Ferrari Berlinetta? (laughs) Wow, that's a thought. Yes. Okay, I'm getting uh, uh, on in life, and I'm going to be 67 this year. And I would like to tell your listeners, share with your listeners, not to define themselves by age. Mm. Uh, Just on a personal basis, I went and got a um, master's degree in education, and uh, I'm a a licensed counselor. And I did that when I was 40, and I was whining at Karen, my wife, saying, gosh, It'll take me 50 to get this two years degree because I have to run a business and, and, and be in a family. And she said, gosh, in 10 years, you'll be 50 anyhow. So <laughs> yes. go for it. So you folks out there, I don't care how old you are. I, and I don't care how young you are either. I would just say, go for it. Yep. And remember that a failure isn't a failure. It just isn't. A failure is a success. It's the same coin. And it's just the other side. It came up tails instead of heads. Brilliant advice. I love that. Thank you so much for that. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about Glenn Vaughn and your business? Oh, thank you for that question. Yeah, we're in North Idaho, and we have a car transporter that we pick up and deliver, and that's on us. So so we get calls from all over the country, and that's what we do. Rotten car rolls on the car transporter, and uh, later your dream rolls off. So uh, get a hold of us. Let me give you the phone number. Yes. 208-773-3525. But let me give you the email address. Okay. Vaughn, like my last name, V-A-U-G-H-N. Restoration, like car restoration, singular. And that's at uh, gmail.com. Fantastic. Well, listeners, you can find these two links and everything we've talked about on Glenn's show notes page at carsyacom slash Glenn Vaughn. Glenn, thank you for being so generous with your time and your expertise and your history and sharing your experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. I've had a great time. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. 
same here. I had a great time. Thanks for this opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.